Good morning. My name is Jim Barcliffe. I'm the pastor here at Lighthouse Fellowship. We're glad you've chosen to join us today, and we're excited about what the Lord is doing in your life. No matter what you face in life, God is in control, and I want to assure you that the Lord is with you, and I want to just today uh, encourage you to open your heart to Him and know that He works in ways that are mysterious to us. We were just singing uh, praise to the Lord about that Revelation song. And I just believe he is up to good things today. No matter what you see happening in the culture today, although it seems to be uh, in some ways going the opposite way than what we know the Bible is teaching us and so forth, we get an opportunity to partner with the Holy Spirit to make these changes that God wants to bring about in our nation. I will say this, and I did not mention it just a moment ago as we were having prayer here at the church but be in prayer for those families who have lost their loved ones in that incident at uh, NRG uh, Park there uh, uh, a couple of nights ago. Be in prayer for that lost tragedy that took place. Many people, I guess eight people lost their lives. Many people were, ad, were injured and so forth. And pray that um, they would be comforted and uh, they, they would have peace with the Lord. So be in prayer for those. Y'all probably seen it on the uh, TV the news reports, be in prayer that God would bring comfort and peace. But also, most of all, if God would have uh, his way amongst our young people, amongst every age group, but that God would, uh, would have his way amongst our youngsters, our young people. I heard one lady, young lady, uh, I think she was 20 years old, who talked about her experience there and uh, how frightening it was to her because of the, the uh, surge of the of the crowd coming in on them and all and how frightening that our young people would know come to know Jesus that there would be a major revival that would take place amongst our young people certainly all ages but certainly amongst our young people I do believe that's what God wants to do and in history shows that in the past many times God begins with the younger generation and I do believe that he is that way he wants us to continue to pray and pray for our young people that they may come to a saving knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Because, you know, I was thinking about it. In fact, people did not know they were going to go out into eternity that particular night as they were coming and just listening to music and were with a lot of friends, I'm sure, and so forth. But we do not know. Life is brief. The Bible says that life is like a mist, a vapor. It's here. And you can go, be gone today, you know, be here today and be gone tomorrow. You never know. So we need to be ready and I do believe the Spirit of God can prepare us in that way. We're going to talk about today the importance of humility. And we're going to look at a couple of scriptures. And the first scripture is Micah chapter 6, verse 8. We've been talking about prayer. It's important to understand prayer. And last week we talked about the fact that it says don't let unforgiveness hinder your prayers. Because many times when we have unforgiveness in our hearts towards someone or whatever is going on in life is that it will hinder our prayers. It'll keep you focused on that person and unforgiveness will eat you away. And that root of bitterness that the Bible talks about will come and take root in your heart. And God is saying, no, release that to me. Those people that maybe have hurt you and certainly definitely have hurt you, that they're not in all of uh, being in any way offended by it necessarily or being, you know, in bondage by it. But you, the one holding that unforgiveness, are in bondage. So release that to the Lord no matter what. And it begins the mindset and making. It's an act of your will. You may not feel like it. 
And you may say, I don't want to, I'm not going to, and so forth, because I don't have feelings towards that. That person really did hurt me bad and inflicted a wound in me. They betrayed me or lied about me or whatever it may be. And, and that person's not hurting at all. They're going on about life. But you are the one that's held in bondage when you don't forgive. And so you step out as an act of your will and say, Lord, I forgive. And then later the feelings will come. And we talked about how that actually took place. But today we're going to talk about humility. I think the humility, obviously, in prayer are obviously subjects that are the most important in a Christian's walk with the Lord. Humility, because we know that that God hates pride. Okay, and actually, we know that Lucifer, Satan, fell from heaven. He was a glorious, beautiful angel, uh, possibly God's worship leader. Uh, We don't know. A lot of theologians are different on that. But uh, actually, he fell and God kicked him out of heaven. Because he made, he wanted to take God's place. Pride got in his heart. And I'll say this as we talk about different symptoms of pride and characteristics of pride today. And I will say, maybe as we go through this, that we can actually ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and to show us any area of pride that's in our hearts. Because I want to tell you, we're all susceptible to it. The one, obviously, game that the enemy plays is He will uh, get us to be proud about this and that. We have to be very careful about that because we cross a line. You you know, there is a difference between being confident and then being proud. You cross over a line to where it's actually sin. And we'll talk about that today. Ask God to look at your heart. He'll show you. And so we're going to read here in the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. Actually, That'll be the first one. Then we're going to read 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. The minor prophet, Micah, he has showed you, old man, what is good. Listen, God's speaking here. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, okay, be just, and to love mercy, love mercy, and what? To walk humbly with your God. Those three things. This is what God is asking and, and actually commanding us and telling us to do. Walk humbly before your God. And then the second uh, actually scripture we're going to use here is when one that you know we pray for revival. If my people, and he's talking to you and I, God's people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Look at the first thing that he's asking. If my people want revival, want to be renewed, want a new vigor in your step with the Lord Jesus Christ, what should we do? What does he say? If we humble ourselves. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Last week, I talked about actually part of a little sermon that I heard when I went on the conference up to the Dallas area here a little over a month ago by Pastor Robert Morris that he mentioned from Ezekiel chapter 1 and then in the book of Revelation about the four creatures. What are they? What do the four creatures represent? What are they symbolic of? And Pastor Morris actually believes they're foundational to the church. And I'll name them again. Very important. First of all is the creature of grace. The face of Jesus. Grace. Jesus is grace. Amen. And what he said was obviously we are always pretty obviously quick to give other people grace. Maybe even when they offend us or maybe when they don't do like what we want them to do or maybe 
uh, they're all over the board, so to speak. He gives, we give them grace, right? We give them grace because why? We know that God has given us grace. Do you realize grace is what actually saved you? The, the blood of Jesus. But it's by His grace, which is something we cannot earn. It is unmerited favor. He just gives it to us. But sometimes we won't give grace to ourselves. The Bible is speaking to Christians, amen. Now, obviously, John 3, 16, we know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, definitely. <clears throat> he's telling us, but he speaks to Christians. And so after you become a Christian, you won't be completely free of sin. There'll be times when you do sin because 1 John, the first chapter, talks about that. And he says, if we say we have no sin, then we actually make God out to be a liar. In other words, God is saying with definitely, you're going to fall, you'll stumble, you will sin today. But he basically says, keep short accounts before me. And so we know that, that we give grace to people because sometimes they hurt us, but we don't give grace to ourselves. See, when we, we are obviously, when we sin and we stumble and fall, we, the Bible says there in 1 John chapter 1 is that we are, uh, confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We confess them to him. In other words, confession is agreeing with God. It's just saying, Lord, I sinned. I agree with you. I did. I said something I shouldn't. I, I was actually, I, I, I acted in a way that I know is not like you. And I know I sinned and I confess it to you. Repent of it. And you said you'd forgive me of it. Okay. And that's true in the Christian's life. But many times, obviously, we keep carrying this shame and guilt. And those things that just hold on to us because somehow we think, well, I'm forgiven because I know by his grace and mercy that I'm saved in the blood of Jesus. But somehow we believe after we become saved that, hey, we're going to be perfect. Let me tell you, that's not the case. You know, we haven't got our halos let yet. We all stumble and fall. We all sin still and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus is taking care of it. But certainly many times we'll carry that shame and it weights us down. We wonder what's going on. It could be that you have not given yourself grace. God's saying, give yourself grace. It's under the blood. Your sins after you became saved actually are under the blood of Jesus Christ. And so give yourself that grace needed. You don't still don't deserve it. But he gave it to us, that free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And we're headed to heaven if you're saved. And you're here today, you're watching this uh, particular Zoom or, or whatever type of uh, social media that you pick up on this, is that you're saved, you're headed to heaven today. But many times we will carry that guilt and shame and God's saying, I don't want you to carry it. My son took it on his shoulders at Calvary. And so that first foundation of the church and the first foundation of your life and my life is there. Certainly, the second foundation is prayer. And prayer is war. Pastor Morris pointed out the fact it is warfare, right? We are in a war. See, I was raised in a Baptist church, but I was never talked to about spiritual warfare. I didn't know that. I knew that obviously there was a devil, but I thought maybe he was the guy over here with a pitchfork and maybe the red suit and so forth. And I realized, you know, well, Jesus was tempted by the devil. I knew that. But I didn't know that actually every Christian that walks with Jesus, obviously there is a war against you. There's a war against the church. There's a war against us doing the right thing. There's a war against us seeking the Lord. 
there's a war against a real spiritual war. And actually that war in the spiritual is more real than what we see out in the outward, actually. Because the Bible says for our, our warfare is not against the flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and in dark places, he's saying. He says it's not against people. It's actually against those warring factors, those, those spirits behind that, those entities that obviously try to take you out. There's a war going on. So if you figure and you think this doesn't make sense, many times I'll look at it and say it doesn't in the natural. But if you'll think about it spiritually, it, it certainly it, it makes complete sense because there's a war. And so prayer is our weapon. We pray and we ask God to do this and that. And we ask God to protect us. We ask God to protect provide for us and we ask God to cover us as we travel as we go about our daily routines and so forth but it's a war and so our weapon is not something we pick up and is a rifle or a, a pistol or whatever our prayer our weapon is prayer and we pray the Bible says obviously and and take every thought captive everything that comes in here because this is where the warfare takes place and make it obedient to Christ. In other words, bring it into submission to the word of God. And he said, pulling down all the strongholds, all those things that have built fortresses in our hearts that maybe we believed in the past or maybe some sin that is there and so forth. We had to pull that fortress down and take an every thought captive and make it be to Christ. And so everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. How many of you here know? There's a lot of stuff that's being set up against the knowledge of God in this in this country today and around the world. I want to tell you, because what they're doing basically is an anti-God type of movement and saying that God, he's just not, you know, he has nothing to do with this world. He, he's sort of, he's kind of, maybe if they think that the, he created things, he created them, but then he's out here somewhere. He's not involved in our daily affairs. And see, that's what we're taught from the word go. We know, obviously, we we're taught many different ways from school about that. The children are indoctrinated with different things that are anti-God. And so it sets itself up against the knowledge of God. How do we defeat that? We pray. We pray for the schoolhouse. We pray for the principal and the teachers. And we pray for the children. You can walk or, you know, obviously pray over particular schools that God puts before you, whether it be Clear Creek or whatever, whatever it may be. In any school that God will, will do that. And that's obviously something I believe is honoring to the Lord. And praying over those children. Because they're going into a battlefield. That they're not even aware that there is a battlefield. And we have a weapon. We have a weapon. That can destroy what the enemy wants to do. To take our children's lives. And bring them captive to where they never know about Jesus Christ. I always say. And some of the things we see, the Astros, the Astros, obviously, they didn't make it all the way and did not win the World Series. They did very well. But if you looked at it, the stadium there that they were playing the baseball at is packed out. I mean, it's packed out, isn't it? And if you obviously my daughter and son-in-law went to the Aggies game yesterday and actually, it's over 100,000 people in those stands. I always think about it, folks. If this is just me. I know y'all maybe think the same thing. That what if those stadiums were filled with people and they were worshiping Jesus? Amen? What if they were shouting? I mean, that place is so loud that you can't even hear yourself think. And wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great if those stadiums would be filled with people that are worshiping the Lord God Almighty? Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be wonderful? 
You see, I don't think it's too far-fetched to believe that because I believe our prayers can bring about a revival that is going to awaken this country back to what we believe, what we know to be true, that can change the hearts of thousands and millions of people. But our weapon is prayer. Okay? And also we know that there's worship. Oh, worship. You know, we always say when we come in and we sing the songs Kathy has led us in and, and all, and that's worship. Yes, we can come and all. But you know what? I can sing a lot of songs and just mouth through the words and really it won't be true worship. Because actually I'm not singing many of the songs. Sing to the Lord and actually get distractions away from you because a lot of times we come in and we've been busy and we got here maybe uh, just here we are. We made it and that's great. But many times, you know, we just go through the motions, don't we? And we just sing the songs. But worship is worship. It's engaging. It's actually making a connection with God Almighty, you see. And worship, actually, according to Pastor Morris, is abandonment. Completely giving it up, folks. Giving it up. Whatever God tells you, you come in here and you have given up all rights to yourself. In reality, as a Christian, that's what you've done anyway. So abandon yourself to the Lord. And that means to completely trust Him. To desire Him above all things. To, to lay your life before Him. And come in here and then worship, you see. You can read the book of Revelation. And you can see what worship's going to be like when we get to eternity with Him. You can see what's happening. 10,000 times 10,000. That's a bunch of people around the throne of grace. People are going to be singing. I believe singing's a part of that worship. Definitely sing to the Lord you know, and, and it may be in your quiet time or whenever it may be, but sing as you desire to co connect with Him. Sing because you want to know Him. Sing because you love Him. Sing because you want to be more like Jesus. Sing. Make that. Not just to sing these words, to go through these things, but to sing to the Lord. Abandon yourself to the Lord. And the last foundation here is servanthood. In parentheses, humility. Well, you and I should become becoming more humble as we get older in our walk with the Lord, more humble. I've given some illustrations about that. One of them is Billy Graham illustration that Pastor Morris gave. And, and, you know, Billy Graham went home to be with the Lord, 99 years old. Many people came to the Lord through his crusades uh, throughout his life and so forth. I saw that actually uh, listened to a lot of his crusades was touched by. Billy's simple way of preaching the gospel. Anybody, just, I mean, just like Billy Graham's preaching, simple. He would actually tell you about Jesus and then he would give an invitation and people would come down out of the stadium and go down front and give their hearts to Jesus. Well, right before he died, three years before he died, he would all his pastor would come in and share the sermon that he was going to preach at his church. And Billy wasn't able to go to church and so the pastor would actually just share with him the word of God and so forth. And every time he'd get to the end and the old and the, he would tell the old pastor, he would go use four words. It was all him. It was all him. And that's true for us. And you see that, I believe, is what humility is. Our confidence in God Almighty and not ourselves is that humility that God is looking for and to walk humbly with your God. And so that today is what I believe is so important. And these four foundations, what does it mean? I believe he's taking us to a higher level, if you look at it that way. But in a way, he's bringing us down lower, actually, that we're more humble. 
we're more dependent upon Him. We're more trusting with Him. We're more abandoned to Him. So important in understanding these things here. But because I believe humility is actually your ticket to the future. I believe that actually God is beginning to refine His church in that, why, in that way as a refiner's fire. And He is actually bringing us, making us more humble, depending upon Him. You see, if God doesn't do it, it's not going to get done, right? Anybody ever had that expression or you had that thought? I want to tell you, say, God, if you don't do it, it's not going to get done. If you don't come into this church and touch us with your power, it's not going to get done. It's not about whether or not I, I preach a good sermon or whatever. It's about the presence of the Lord that's moving in this place to change your heart and my heart, you see. That's what it's all about. In Isaiah 57, 15, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. The dwelling place of God is with people of a contrite, a broken spirit, a humble spirit. And what does that mean? Real simply, it means we need the Lord, folks. We need the Lord in this place. We need to fling wide the doors of the church house of our hearts to the Lord, oh God, God Almighty, and say, come on in, Lord. Come on in and do what you want to do in my life, in my, my church's life, in my family's life, in our, in our society's life. That's a humble spirit. But when we cry out like that together in unity, in the bond of love, let me tell you, there is no, obviously, <laughs> nothing God will not do. Because that's who he is. He says he dwells with the one who walks humbly with his God. You know, when I'm traveling on an airline, I actually have to buy a ticket to be able to get on there, right? You have to do that here. You see, it requires a price on a ticket. You see, that ticket is actually humility. It's humility. Pride is something every human being has to deal with. Lucifer, again, he got proud and God cast him out of heaven. He got proud there. And pride is actually the worst of sins in that sense. Knowing it's kind of the, the foundation there for sin. It's the ugliest, most despicable, and most defiling of all sin. And pride is a bigger problem in the church than what we realize. Okay. Unfortunately, again, when religious people try to deal with pride, a lot of times we try to, try to act pride, humble in that sense. We try to kind of, uh, well, oh, poor me. I'm not talking about, oh, poor me. I'm not talking about somehow in a fleshly way. I'm talking about a change of heart. A desire to see God. A desire really knowing that God is the answer to our problems. And again, in that manner, he says here, if you're that way, then I'll revive you. And I don't know if anybody in here could say, hey, I don't need re reviving today. I need reviving, folks. I need renewal. I need the fresh winds of his spirit to come and blow across my heartstrings and touch me in the depths of my being. I need reviving. Do you need reviving today? If you feel downcast today, you feel discouraged today, you feel like everything is going the opposite way today, today we need revival, folks. And the only way it will happen is somebody in saying, God, and cry out to him and saying, do what you and you alone can do. I can't do it. I can't conjure it up in the flesh in my own ability. 
It takes people like you and me praying and calling down the power of God upon a congregation, upon a community, whether it be League City, Texas, or Houston, Texas, or beyond. That's what humility is. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I'll hear from heaven and I will forgive your sin and I will heal your land. This is a promise. This is a promise. And I believe it because I'm a simple man when it comes to scripture. Theologians will take and debate this and that and so forth. Well, what it says today is that you and I, when we humble ourselves and we recognize that God's going to move and he's going to move in a powerful way. The Pharisees, they had sort of an outward type of appearance. Remember? Pharisees try to look good before men. Well, I'm humble. <laughs> you know, some people will tell you, well, I'm humble. If somebody had to tell you that they're humble, they probably are not humble, right? Got to tell you about it, you know? And they're not, the Pharisees were that way. Why? They want to be seen by men. See, that's the whole thing about this here. And so obviously it comes with the cooperation, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But don't you know this is God's will? This is God's will that you actually walk this particular way or it wouldn't be in the scriptures. And so how does that take place? Because you're going, Lord, I'm not sure what Jim's saying here completely, but I want to tell you today when you ask God to explain it to you, he will. And he'll bring about and he'll demonstrate it. He'll give you illustrations of it and he'll work in your heart like never before. But you got to start by saying, that's what I want. I want some of that. I want to be humble because I need reviving. And if the word of God says that humility precedes that revival and that awakening and that renewal, then that's where you start. God will do it, you see. Well, the Holy Spirit will say that pride, obviously, in a, maybe in a particular place where you've allowed pride to come in, and I, you need to put it away and the behavior and start with it, and he'll give you the power to be able to do that and to overcome that. Pray and humble and pray and seek his face. Turn from your wicked ways. So my prayer is show me how to humble myself, Lord. He will do that. That's a prayer that he will answer. Now, this is going to be a self-examination. Kathy passed out a, uh, you know, a hard copy of questions. And, you know, Kathy's real good about letting you know whether or not she's going to test you on it or not and so forth. I don't know whether she told the truth or not about it because she may test you on it. Okay. When you come in here next week, just kidding. But this is going to be a self-examination actually through the word here. And so there's some characteristics or symptoms of pride that I want you to think about. Preoccupation with appearances. We got everything, Botox, and we got all this surgery, plastic surgery. We got all this stuff nowadays that obviously if those things obviously will be needed, and, and all, I don't really see that's a sin. But what you do, you cross a line. It becomes a preoccupation. It becomes a priority. Actually, it becomes an idol in your heart with your appearance. Okay? Now, I'm not saying don't take a shower before you come in here. Okay? And I'm not telling you don't comb your hair. Please comb your hair. And brush your teeth, please. But I'm saying when it becomes obviously consuming to you or to me, that's when it becomes a preoccupation. You know what that word means. That's when it becomes a sin here. You know, remember what happened here in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And then he said, Saul to Samuel, the prophet, Saul was a king. I have sinned, yet honor me now, 
please, and before the elders of my people and before Israel and return to me that I may worship the Lord your God. And he's basically saying, hey, go with me, please. So I'll still look good, you know, so that I will keep up my appearance. You know, and we go to come to church to try to keep up our appearance like I'm I'm kind of a, you know, holier than thou or whatever, whatever it may be. If you have a preoccupation with about how you are seen, then it could be very well pride in our lives, you see. So how preoccupied are you with your appearance? I am not addressing how long the women folks stand before the mirror. That is not my purpose. I'm saying there's a preoccupation with it that obviously you cross a line. There are people today I've seen, y'all have too. Uh, how many? Well, I know one lady, she's had like 20, 25 uh, plastic surgeries and so forth to look uh, like this or that and so forth, doing this and that. The preoccupation becomes prideful. Why? It's because you want to be seen by, by man. There's, there's a vanity in your life that actually goes, crosses over, and it actually becomes pride, you see. It's the motive of our heart. So I'm going to ask you a question. I get personal sometimes. If you gain a couple pounds, do you get depressed? I don't know about y'all, but it's harder to keep the weight off than it is to put it on. I like to eat. And, but if you are focused, focused, I'm not saying that it should not be something, our goals that we set. I'm saying you cross a line because of the motive of your heart. Because, oh me, poor me, again. And it can actually take place about my car or my home or my yard or whatever it may be. Preoccupation about appearances. Keep your yard up, keep your car washed, and so forth. But you cross a line because it's in your heart and it becomes prideful. Let me ask you this. If God asked you to do something in this service that was out of the ordinary, would you do it? You say, well, Jim, if I can, if I can kind of sit here and do it, it's fine. What if he tells you to get up and run down his aisle? What if he tells you to take and run around the pews? And because, and I'm not saying just to do, doing things weird that to be weird. I'm talking about if God tells you to do it. Would you do it? What if God told you to lay prostrate? Prostrate out on the floor and to pray and cry out to him for revival and cry out for a delivered heart, a cleansed heart. Would you do it? Would you do it? You see. God moved for you to come forward and to say, I, I just want more. I want more, Lord. I want to know you more. And you walk forward because you felt nudge. You felt God, the Holy Spirit, move on your heart to come up here and put your knees on this man right here and pray and ask God to do something that he and he alone can do in your heart. Would you do it? The Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. Because we always think, if I don't look just right, or if, say, even when I get in the church house, if I don't do exactly right, that somebody is going to castigate me, and so whatever. But that's not true. 
when revival comes, things may happen that you never thought would happen as we God begins to deal in our hearts. And that's what I want in my life. I want him to deal in my heart. The depths of my heart. And for God to come and take those things away that we deal with on a regular basis, whatever it may be. And it may not obviously look like what I thought. It may not be something that will be just, hey, hunky-dory and so forth, but it will be God's purposes being served in my life and your life. But he doesn't want us to be afraid of what man will think. How many of us think? And, and sometimes in the back of our heart, what, what will man think? What will man think of me if I do this and that? Now, I'm not talking, again, to be weird, just to be weird. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when God moves on your heart, would you do it? If you accepted Christ whenever in your life, didn't you move forward and say, I want Jesus Christ in my life to forgive me? I know that if I don't have his forgiveness that I'm going to hell. I know that if he doesn't forgive me, that I have no obviously choice. I have I have nothing. I have nothing. It's nothing within me. Did you make a move with that and proclaim to the church that Jesus Christ is your Lord of your life? Did you take that risk in saying, well, what will people think of me? Let me tell you, when you're saved, you don't care what people think of you. Okay? You don't care what anybody says. All you know is that you're gloriously saved and that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and your Master. And all you want is all of Him in your life to come and take full control of your life. Was that way it is? Or do we fear what man will say? Church too long has feared what man will say. And it's a snare. It keeps us from being who God wants us to be. When we come to church, yes, thank you for taking a shower and brushing your teeth. But you come in here and you go, do I'm spiffed up right and so forth. When we come in here and obviously we should, people say, how you doing? Well, I'm blessed. How you doing? And everything. And then we leave and so forth. What would happen if you really got real? And said, I got this issue, Jim, and I got this. Can you pray for me? I need the church to pray for me. I need to humble myself and recognize the need of other people. And that's why the church is together, the body of Christ. See, we can't play church. And really have the fullness of God dwelling in our midst at the same time. It doesn't work. He won't share his glory with anybody. Some revivals. William Seymour have shared the Azusa Street Revival, uh, 1904, somewhere in there. And he was rejected in Houston, was in the Heights down here because of, of his race. He's a black man. They had uh, obviously barred him from any, any meetings and learning the scriptures and so forth. He would sit outside in that home up here in the Heights and the door would be cracked and the teacher uh, would be teaching the word of God. And he'd sit there. And he wanted a move of God. He asked God to come and move because we needed him bad. Here we are. We had the racism. We had all that segregation and so forth. And Houston rejected him basically overall. And so where did he go? He went to Los Angeles. And he went in a little tiny kind of shack place at the corner of Azusa Street. And he started preaching the word of God. And actually what he did was stand on a box and put a a covering, a curtain between him and the people that would come in and listen to the word of God because he didn't want anybody to see him. He was that humble. 
Because what was happening was God Almighty was using this man. Don't know how much education he had, but he had a burning heart and passion for Jesus Christ. And he put it up. He put that curtain up and he preached the word. And what happened? People stepped onto the, pro the property and fell on their faces before God Almighty because they couldn't stand under the weight of the glory of God. And they gave their hearts to Jesus and they became born again and they became Christians. Two miles away, people would come in on freight trains and the freight tra and they would step off the cars there two miles away and fall out under the power of God because the power of God was so powerful and they would give their hearts to Jesus Christ. People became saved. But you see, the reality is in our humility, it has to be all God, you see. Yes, we partner with Him, but it's His power working in our hearts. It's His power working in our church today, individual lives today, and it's the only way it's going to work. You go, well, we've never done it that way before. Maybe not. But I believe it's about time. The reality of it is, when you came to Jesus, were you desperate? Were you desperate that Jesus Christ was the only way? Jesus said, it's only one way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Did you realize, did you have a, like a desperateness in your heart to say, God, come into my life and save me. Well, I ask you the question today. Are you humble enough to say, God, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you because my neighbors are not saved. Because this church house is not filled with people and going out into the corridor. Overflowing, you see. Are we desperate enough in that? Are we satisfied? If we're satisfied, then he says, obviously, then I'll wait till you get hungry. But that's the question about humility. But the question is, are you willing to risk embarrassment to obey God? Or is it too big a price to pay? That's he's asking me, folks. I always preach to myself. Am I willing to risk embarrassment for God to move in this church house? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to risk. I know in my life, I know I want God to come and move in my life and these, and these communities here. I mean, good gracious, on 3rd Street alone, we'll pack this place out. You and I have an opportunity. But it's about humility and praying until we see happen what He and He alone can do. In Psalm 29, the fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Have you ever been um, tempted to exaggerate an accomplishment or something that you've done? Just a little exaggeration. Anybody? Uh, I have. I have. Pride. It's pride. I recognize it and I say, Lord, I don't want it. Okay. Proverbs 27 2 said, Let another man praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips, but somebody else. And then 
Proverbs 25, 27, it's not good to eat much honey, so to seek one's own glory is not glory. The Pharisees were real proud. And uh, they really liked the praises of man. We all like that, and we like compliments. Nothing wrong with somebody complimenting you, but we have to be careful about grabbing a hold of that, and it becoming it becomes a primary focus of our hearts about that. And somehow, maybe we think that our identity is how we measure up in somebody else's eyes. Our identity is not in how we measure up in, in somebody else's eyes. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. We've been robed with his righteousness. Jesus sees us as he sees Jesus. You see, our identity is not in how our appearances. It is actually what God sees in each of our lives, you see. The second tension, uh, characteristic or symptom is, are you needy of attention? You just got to have attention. If you don't get attention, then obviously you're depressed. You don't get attention. Well, you go, that's not me. I'm glad Jim's he's moved past that other part. And now we're on this. Good, I am safe and secure. Let me ask you this. How often when you walk, come up to somebody, do you put your agenda aside and you just listen to them instead of wanting to tell them what's going on with you? How often do you dominate the conversation about self and me, myself, and I versus listening to what somebody else wants to talk about? How often do we do that? And I know nobody here. I don't. Okay, I'm not. So we can pass through this one. Let me tell you. That's what happens, you see. Most of us are already thinking about what we're going to say when somebody starts talking to them. And to take right away, instead of sitting there and listening to that individual, do you know one thing I've always said? The church can, do, can listen. But what do we do? We come in and we just bowl you over with all this stuff and, and chatter and, and so forth. And you know, when somebody else gets ready to talk to you, you don't hear a word they say. It's a characteristic of pride. Because you're already focused upon yourself and what you want to say and what you're going to get out. And you've not heard a word that person said anyway, even though they may be chatty. How often? You see, that needy of attention, certainly here, because we need to be listening. We need to be learning. Because you'll never learn about anything in your life because other people can teach us because you're not listening. You've already got your agenda and you are going to say what you're going to say. And so that needy of attention like that. Remember, it's not that we shouldn't talk to one another, but you cross a line to where that becomes a priority in your life. You don't ever listen to anybody. Hospice, I had to more or less learn. Lady folks learn it a bit better. They're better listeners than us men, but you got to listen. In most cases, I'd go in and see, I would be thinking, what am I going to do? This person, you know, they're on their deathbed. Family's there, the patient's still talking, still, you know, verbal and so forth. And I'd be thinking about this and that. And then I'd get, I connect and they start talking to me about this and they start just sharing with me. And you know what? I don't even have to say a word. Because they just wanted somebody to listen to them. They just wanted to know somebody cared about them. I didn't have to tell them I cared about them. They knew by the way I focused upon them and listened to them. Because I didn't need the attention. They did. 
But when there's needy of attention, that is obviously very important. When I would share the story, again, this is not about me in that, but I'll give you an example. When I came up, I had a, a, uh, have a business management degree. And in Newport News Shipyard, Newport News, Virginia, uh, they had a program to where they took uh, people out of college and they made them supervisors on a particular uh, uh, vessels, ships, aircraft carriers. They happened to put me on an aircraft carrier, okay? And I actually became a welding foreman. I had to learn how to weld. I had to go through welding school. I had to do what they did. And then I was given a group of man, men with and given a certain portion of an aircraft carrier to be able to, I was responsible for all the welding and most of what's happening. And a lot of that, of course, is steel fabrication. So welding had to be done. And I thought, here I am. I am a young buck, green as there could ever be. How am I going to make it? Because a lot of these guys have been in shipyard for years. I mean, they could weld circles around me. And you know what I did was purpose in my heart that I was going to listen to those old guys. And so I came under their wing because if I'd come in there with a haughty spirit, a proud spirit, they would have rejected me. And I probably wouldn't have lasted a year in that particular industry. But I said, I'm going to listen to these guys because they know what they're doing. And I'd get in and befriend them and, and learn from them and listen from them and first of all, edify them and, and encourage them too. And they taught me how to weld. They taught me how to do it. And I obviously uh, advanced very quickly in that because of that. But I had to have a humble spirit. I had to listen to people. I had to learn from somebody. How many of you here today know that we haven't, we haven't arrived? We haven't learned it all. I'm still learning. How about y'all? I'm still learning every day. There are things God gives me to do. But I'm telling you, I'm still learning every day, even at my life where I am an age. And don't talk about my age. Overly argumentative. Anybody knows about that? My opinion has to be the one that we kind of rest on. Anybody know anybody like that? And I will argue you to the death. Right? It's a sign of pride. It's actually a symptom of pride. Everybody laughs. You know exactly what I'm saying. It is actually that pride that's down deep, okay? Because I think too much of my opinion. Now, this is very, very obviously uh, rampant because we want our way. Because you're not going to say, obviously, just right out, I don't think I'm right in this situation. What are you going to say? I'm, I'm right here, and they're wrong. And you won't give it a second thought, although that person may be right. And if you stop and think about it for a moment, you may find that person, well, I was really wrong with that. But we're not willing because we're overly argumentative. We want to know. Why? Because we want top place. We want that, right? You willing to humble yourself? And say, I need to learn from this person. I need to listen to this person. And they argue with me. And they look like to me that they're complete opposite of what I believe about this situation. But maybe there's some truth in this particular person that I need to listen to. And maybe God put that person in front of you to learn from them. Right? That is a characteristic symptom of pride actually here. Confident people, humble people can accept blame and move on. Can you accept blame? If you messed up, can you accept blame? I messed up. I messed up. Anybody here ever messed up? I have. Yeah, I just messed up, Lord. And tell that person. 
Even if you go to them and you say, I messed up. I messed up. The fourth one is disrespect towards authority. That's one of the things I think are very excessive today. You see, pride will criticize and talk behind the boss's back. Ooh. Pride will talk behind this person's back. God says, bring it to me. We all are here. Let me tell you, I'm telling you, we haven't arrived. There's pride in our hearts. The issue is not whether there's not some pride that God's dealing with you on. The issue is whether or not you're dealing with it or not. Are you saying, I don't accept it. I'm always right. You're always wrong. And I'm not going to hear you out. I'm going to be all these things that I'm talking about as far as symptoms of pride. And I don't care what you say. That's when pride obviously does its damage. I don't want any help from you. Don't tell me anything because I don't want to hear it. Right? It is actually the disrespect for authority. One of the things about it, we're all under authority. How many of you know that? We're all, I'm under the authority of Jesus Christ. Y'all are, we're under authority. God works that way. The authority is the home. The father actually is the, Obviously, the authority in the home is not a dictatorship. You pull together, but there has to be an authority there. God has that particular echelon, that level, and we have to abide by it. It works here. You know, one of the things I do, and this is just me, is I was raised by parents, and I don't know whether they taught me that or not, but actually they did it. I'd go, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I go, yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. You don't hear like, yeah, yeah. You know, and all that stuff. They need to be taught this. And what does it do? It means when I go through, through uh, Chick-fil-A or whatever it may be, and somebody says, uh, are you Jim? I say, yes, sir. Well, he may be 18 years old. But you know what that does when I, I take that type of attitude? It actually keeps my mind focused on the fact of humility. And it keeps my respect for them because I respect people. I respect you for working at Chick-fil-A or Wendy's or whatever it may be. Whatever you're doing, starting out, whatever it means, I respect you for doing that because you're working and God will, will obviously promote you in His due season, okay? But it keeps my mindset, yes, sir. doesn't make any difference how old you are. It doesn't have to be just my elders because I was taught to respect my elders. I respect that because what it does, it filters down that I respect people. I don't mean that. I didn't mean anything goes. Okay, don't get me wrong. But I'm telling you, it keeps your mindset. Yes, sir. Yes, yes, ma'am. And most of the time, that's the best answer. <laughs> Not no, sir, or no, ma'am. Right. But that that authority is there. Children need to know that from the beginning. Early, there's an authority because we obviously if if we don't submit to that authority as we're growing up. You will submit to that authority as you get older. And if you fight against that, your life will be miserable. Why? It's because of pride. I want my way. Well, I don't like this boss, so I'm gonna what I do is I'm gonna leave this job. He's he or she's not talking to me in the right way. So I'm gonna leave this job. What I do, I sometimes jump directly from the frying pan into the fire. But what happens is God's got you there for a season, for a purpose to teach you that you can grow in your relationship with him and also humility. Because, you know, the extension of that word humility means humiliation. 
And I don't like the way they do and so forth. What do you do? And what you've done is pull out from the test that God has given you. And, you know, obviously you don't obviously pass or fail in those tests. You just take the test over again. Because he's going to have his way. So parents, children need to, to be also ambition. Ambition is selfish ambition. Nothing wrong with being ambitious as far as the kingdom of God and seeking the Lord with all your heart. But when ambition crosses a line, it's all about me. Nothing wrong about being aggressive, being a good businessman and being able to, and wanting to obviously to grow the business and all this sort of stuff. It is a motive of your heart. When ambition becomes your God. And that will be demonstrated in different ways. Then it's pride. Now. I'll mention this. I'll go back just a moment and we'll move on because we're going a little bit long. But about children, whoever. We need to obviously, as all of us, thank God. Our parents are not here. Many of us here at our age. But thank God for our parents. They weren't perfect, were they? And sometimes their wounds and so forth in the way we were raised, they weren't perfect, but we need to thank God for them. We weren't born by accident with the parents that we had. How many of you know that? It wasn't an accident. So what are you going to do? You're going to complain about how they raised you up? And I'm not talking about willful abuse, abusiveness and all that too. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying. But I'm just saying. They weren't perfect. My dad wasn't perfect. But he was a good father. And I, we need to be thankful for him. It starts with Thanksgiving. What we talked about. Right? So if I'm preoccupied with my own goals. I haven't got time to help other people. Because it's my ambition, right? And then unwilling to accommodate others. Are you easy to be with? Are you respectful of other people's time? Or you dominate? Are you easy to be around? You know, some people say, are you easy on the eyes? Anybody ever heard that? <laughs> he or she's easy on their eyes. Are you easy to be along with? Are you willing to accommodate other people? Or again, do you have to have your way? Humility is respectful and considerate of others. Pride is lacking in those. Can we compromise on differences? Obviously, values and things that are really solid, and, and I mean, we know they're there. We, we hang tight to that. But there's certain things we can compromise on, right? We compromise on them. It's important. Inappropriate anger. What happens when somebody crosses you? Sometimes, obviously, when somebody crosses you, you get angry. They don't have any respect for me. They're not, obviously, yielding to my opinion. And you get mad. I mean, downright mad. See, that is actually a symptom of pride, you see. What if people oppose you? What if people, obviously, don't accommodate you or whatever? You get angry? That's a symptom of pride. A lot of times, and I will say this, as far as politicians, not all of them, but a lot of them are full of pride. And what does pride lead to? A desire and hunger for power. So what do they do? They don't accommodate anybody else. 
Because a lot of times you see what they've done. They've, they will say this when they're running for a particular position they are. They'll say this and that. And when they go to Washington, you, they never, ever adhere to it. In fact, they do just the opposite. I mean, you know about that. And you go, what happened? What he promised down here? Because they didn't want to accommodate anything you were doing. They were saying that stuff. And they were like the Pharisees. And they had an outward appearance of kind of looking good. And they get up there. And the motive of their heart was not right. And they get up there and they just do whatever they want to do. They haven't heard the people talking. They don't care what you and I say or whatever else. And a lot of times that's the case. Not always. We need to put people in office that have a foundation knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I'm not saying all of them will, but we need to obviously be careful about who we vote for and put in, in office. And we need to obviously uh, vote the people in that have a foundation of value, values and morals, and they need to have de demonstrated that. They need to be in a church, not that the politician just comes in and sits in the back row and stays during the time of the election and then leaves, and you never see them again. I'm talking about they need to have a foundation, some a Christian foundation in their lives. If we're going to have this nation revived, I know not everybody will, will receive salvation, but I do know one thing. We get the people, the right people in the right places. We're going to see some changes because that's where it starts. Now, that is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. But a lot of them, they don't care what you and I say. And they're not representing us. They're doing their own thing. It's pride. The anger that's there also. Then the addictions. Most addictions have their roots somewhere in pride because of anxiety. Because it's not right with God and there's anxiety and something happens to where there's an addiction there that pops, that comes in. It's important to understand that all these things are symptoms of pride. Everybody got that? Hear that? You got it? Can we ask the Lord to examine our hearts and... Um, Say, I'm learning, Lord, but I don't want that. I don't want that. Because you see, the Holy Spirit, he's a, he's a whole lot better preacher than I am, okay? And he'll preach to you. But I don't want pride in my heart. Because I believe it will stop revival. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I'll hear, turn. And that turning from those wicked ways will take place once you start to humble yourself and pray. Because you recognize what God desires. He says, I desire this, to walk humbly before your God. Amen? Amen. Thank you for your attention. Ask God to show you. I wanted to build on the foundations of what we talked about there. The four creatures. And that God would work in a way to, uh, to awaken our hearts. You know, we all sit here and you say, Jim, what is this? What's this? What's this like? What would that be like? I want to just encourage you. Ask the Lord. What do it look like in your life, my life, or in the life of Lighthouse Fellowship? Don't you know that He's more willing to share, to show us than we are even to desire it? Just ask Him. And some of you here today, you're weary. You're tired. And God is saying, that you've got to just run to me and ask me for that strength that I need. Because you run out of gas. Anybody here can relate to that? Mm -hmm. Run out of that gas, Lord. 
I don't have the gas that I used to have. I want gas, Lord. The gas for fuel of the Holy Spirit. And He will come. And He will obviously fill our tank. Amen. Amen. All you got to do is ask Him. You got to ask Him. And He'll do it. He's a good God. He's a good God. And He's good. Show us your glory, Lord. Show us your glory. Let your glory fall in this place in my life and the life of this congregation and those who are watching this. Let your glory fall on us, O God, that we may obviously see who you are, Lord. When our our eyes are open to your holiness, Lord, we know that we'll be melted in, in your presence, O God. Because the mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. O God, we want hearts that are pliable. That can be molded, oh God, just like as that piece of clay on the potter's wheel, oh Lord. And you are the potter and take that clay, Lord, and mold us and make us according to your will, oh God. Father, we pray that today. Oh, Father, we love you. We praise you, Lord. Help us, Lord. I ask you today, Father, if anybody here just needs a special touch from the Lord. Maybe everybody, but I need a special touch from the Lord. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you would. Raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray every person that humbled themselves right now and said, I need a special touch from you. Holy Spirit, I ask you to touch them in your power and your grace and your mercy, oh God. I ask you to do that, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. Father, we love you. We praise you. And we're asking these things today in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for your attention. Pride, it got Satan kicked out of heaven. It's bad, bad stuff. And we're su- it's very subtle. And sometimes we don't even realize it's there until we just stop for a moment and say, I didn't listen to that person. I don't care what that person says. I don't value that person anymore because what I do, what is wise, because I value myself more. Okay, nothing wrong with loving yourself. It's just when that becomes the priority, you're not going to hear anything anybody else, and you'll not be any of help to anybody else that really needs help when the focus is all on us. Satan said, <laughs> "Remember what he told Eve? He said, God said, don't eat of that apple, that fruit." Don't eat that. That one. You do anything else you want. Don't eat of that fruit, remember? And man, she went, okay. And remember, the devil came to him and said, surely God didn't say that. See, that's where our world is today. Surely God didn't say that. That living the way that we are apart from God, surely he didn't say that that destruction will come eventually. Surely he didn't say that. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He's just looking at us. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. Thank you all for watching today. And we pray that this week would be a blessed week for you. Keep praying. Keep humbling yourself. Keep asking the Lord, seeking his face. Show us your glory and continue to walk in that humility and walking with your God in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Join us next week. Amen. Thank you, Lord.